0: Well, once again, glad you're here. I've had the privilege, I think, the last three months to be officiating for our time of communion and it's a very meaningful time for me personally and I hope it is for you. Now we have the pleasure of of turning to God's word. I'd like to start with a brief story. It's It's a happy memory story. About 10 years ago, my daughter was going to school in southern Florida and I went down to visit her. Her name's Courtney. And she said, Dad, I'm going to take you to a really cool place for lunch. And I said, great, honey. What is it? And She says, it's called (laughs) Chick-fil-A. And we didn't have them here yet, right? So I go, oh, okay. So we go into this mall and we go up to the the line and the counter. She says, Dad, 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 Dad. it's not just the food, it's really good, but you you listen closely, Dad. You're going to love this. So I come up, and it's my turn to order, and this young woman comes up to me, and she says, Hi, how may I serve you? And Courtney's going, See, Dad, I told you, I told you. (laughs) And I go, Wow, what a word to use. Rather than saying, How may I, who have all the food, help you who has a need right no it's how may i serve you it's coming from underneath to care for someone to provide oh pretty good to <laughs> get our food it, and courtney goes dad listen 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 she's not done yet <laughs> courtney's a communications major so this was really great stuff for her and and so she brings me my food and i say thank you and she goes it's my pleasure it's my pleasure She didn't go. You're welcome. Next. (laughs) Serving and the pleasure we get from it. Chick fil A, owned and run by Christian people, train their people in servanthood. Secondly, a wonderful corporation that was centered here in Chicago for the longest time called Service Master. And I got to know one of their chairman and CEOs very well. His name's Bill Pollard. And Bill Pollard, in his books, and as I would spend time with him, he said, we named it Service Master because we wanted to be masters of service. Incidentally, we have many either now employees or former employees of that corporation. We wanted to be masters of service. And then he said, and here's why. Because we are serving our master If you went to their corporate headquarters, they had a large statue of Jesus carrying the sheep on his back. We want to be masters of service because we serve one master. So, service master, Chick-fil-A, even better, let's go to the first source material, Jesus Christ himself. Open your Bibles, please, to the 20th chapter of Matthew, 20th chapter of Matthew, page 977 in your Bible on the back of the chairs so turn it on open it up etc etc and for those of you that don't have it I feel this passage needs to be read aloud so we'll have it on screen as well so you can see it starting verse 17 chapter 20 Matthew now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem and on the way he took the 12 aside and he said to them We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Then, verse 20, the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What do you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit on your right and the other on your left in the kingdom. You don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Remember, that's what we talked about during communion. We can, they answered. we can drink it. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from the cup But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten, the other ten disciples, heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. All right, so there it is, the introduction of a way of thinking about human purpose that defies cultural narrative. Jesus is turning reality on its head. We're going to talk more about it. All right, so it says in verse 17, he was going up to Jerusalem. In the parallel passage that we find in Mark, it adds just a touch more to that, and that's in verse number 32 of Mark 10. We have it on the screen. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. They're going up to Jerusalem. They're astonished, and they are afraid. Okay, it's two and a half years plus into the ministry of Jesus Christ. He's only got a few months left. They've been primarily in the Galilee region, up north, 70 miles away from Jerusalem. Nice area, good place to vacation, but it's not where power is. It's not where authority is. It's not where uh, great businesses are. That's Jerusalem. The goal of every Jew is to be able to get to Jerusalem. The goal of every Jew is to be able to rise up and be what King David had once made Jerusalem to be the strongest place in the world. And now Jesus has said, it's time. We're heading to Jerusalem. So they leave the Sea of Galilee, they go along the the Jordan River, and they literally start going up. Because as you go down the Jordan River, about 70 miles or so from the Sea of Galilee, you're in a place called Jericho. Jericho is 650 feet below sea level. It's only 15 miles from Jerusalem or so, but it's the lowest city on the planet. 650 feet below sea level. Jerusalem Is built on hills, and on those hills are palaces and temples. And so when it says they go up to Jerusalem, that's what's happening, and they have visions of sugar plums dancing in their heads. They are astonished. They've always wanted to get to Jerusalem, and here's what they believe. The cultural narrative of the Jews was when the Messiah comes... Wrong will be made right. Power will be broken, whoever has it, and the Messiah will reign, and he will bring justice on the earth, and the Jewish people will be the dominant people in existence. And so as they make this climb, and they start to see the heights of the city, they see the city walls, they see the temple rising above it, they see the palace of King Herod, And they know, because Jesus had told them in Matthew 19, that in the kingdom, they will sit on the 12 thrones alongside him. They're going to Jerusalem to take over. They're astonished. They're also afraid. Why? Because he keeps saying this stuff about dying. It's the third time. They still don't get it. He will be given over, condemned to death, handed to the Gentiles, mocked, flogged, crucified, verses 17 and 18. Third time. They still don't get it. It's, it's rather like when you and I get a call or a text and it's from someone we love and we didn't expect it. And the call or the text says, the one you love, mom or dad, grandma or grandpa, sister or brother, is dying. When you first hear that someone who is healthy has stage four cancer, you can't accept it. Your mind won't go there. It's too much of a psychological leap. One of the roles of pastors is to help people whose family members are dying to accept the death that is coming. I wonder if that's not going on here because he's talking about thrones and they have all of this narrative of what what the Messiah will do and yet he keeps popping this in there too, this death thing and they they don't know how, it's a juxtaposition they can't manage so they are astonished and they are afraid. Look who comes up now. Verse 20. The mother of Zebedee's sons Zebedee's sons are James and John. And the mother comes up and kneels down before Jesus on this trek toward Jerusalem, and and he says, what do you want? He might have said, what do you want, Auntie? Because we're pretty sure that James and John are cousins of Jesus, and we're pretty sure that that the mother of the Zebedee sons is Mary's sister. This is probably his aunt. And so it shouldn't surprise you what she's going to say. What is it you want?" She said, "Oh, Grant, Jesus, Je- Jesus, she's a Jewish mother, after all.") <laughs> "My boys are good boys. Don't you think it would be good? Little I remember you when you were this high, Jesus. To sit on his right and to sit on his left. It all makes sense. They've got visions of grandeur dancing in their heads. They imagine thrones. They imagine power. They imagine position. They imagine prestige. And it's just about to happen. It's rather like this. This is the hymn they were singing heading up to Jerusalem. Start spreading the news da 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 da. We're leaving today We'll make a brand new start of it Jerusalem, doo, 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 doo. those Galilee blues, dun, 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 dun. they're melting away. I want to be a part of it. Jerusalem, I want to wake up. You, how's it go from there? In a city that doesn't sleep to find that I'm king of the hill. I'm top of the heap. If I can make it there, I'll make it anywhere. It's up to you. Dun, 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 dun. All right, so that's what they're doing. That's their thoughts. And they imagine that they're going to replace Herod as king. They imagine that they're going to throw down Pilate as the governor of the greatest nation on the planet, Rome, the empire. That's what's going on. So Jesus, don't you think it would be good? Yeah. But look what happens. Right after she says that, and he goes through that little bit about, do you think they can drink my cup? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Great wine. Can't wait. It's going to be the cup of suffering, isn't it? When Jesus comes back the second time, then it's Jerusalem. Then it's power. But not this time. When the other 10, verse 24, heard this, they were indignant with the two brothers. And now Jesus has to do something about all this. It's just not right. And so, Jesus calls them together. Look at everybody, verse 25. He calls them all together and he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. And then I have these next four words in the brightest orange highlighter you can imagine Not so with you. The world as you perceive it, as you perceive power, as you perceive authority, is flat out wrong, everybody, says Jesus. Not so with you. Then look where he goes with it. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave. This is, this is a tectonic shift. You know, when there's an earthquake and the, and the massive rock formations under the ground shift to a new reality. This is a new reality. He is challenging a paradigm that is so culturally embedded. Can't imagine it changing. What is that paradigm? That paradigm is that greatness is position, and being first is power power the disciples are actually embracing the cultural norm of their society when in reality Jesus has recruited them to confront it he's got to stop this wrong thinking now every culture has its cultural what we call narratives you know what culture is culture is this if you want to write this down it's it's helpful Culture is defined as the patterned way of how people think and what they do. It's the pattern. It's the narrative. It's the value. For instance, every, and every culture has good things about it, and every culture has things to challenge about it. In American culture, what's glorious about American Western culture is we believe... We literally believe that every individual is created equal in the eyes of an almighty God, and so every human being should have equal opportunity to life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? That's a pretty good value. We also have values that shape our culture that are antithetical to the things of God. For instance, my personal choice matters at all costs. As long as I'm not really hurting somebody else, whatever I want to do is my right to do. It gets even worse. Whatever I believe is right is what is right. Truth has to be figured out internally, and every human being figures out their own truth. Truth. Now, those aren't just American values. Those are Western values. And both of them are destroying the world. Jesus is seeking to replace an awful value of Jewish people that if they just hold on a little longer, they'll be in charge of everything and they can punish everyone for hurting them. We'll sit on the thrones. You're going to take charge, Jesus. Jesus is turning that over. Okay. Jesus says, they lord it over. Greatness is lording it over other people. it's, It's to get into the position of power. And Jesus says, no. They say, you exercise authority. You hold power and that makes you first. Power. And Jesus says, no. He redefines the meanings of greatness and what it is to be first, doesn't he? Here's his definition Greatness, position, is the position of servant. Being first, being in charge, having power, is the position of being a slave. Serve and slave. Now, the word serve, you understand. Uh, The word serve has to do with active serving where there are needs. And today, we we pretty much have focused on needs within our church, but you have this needs in your home, you have this. your family, your neighborhood, your workplace, uh, wherever you go in the world, there are needs. And, and Jesus is saying those that are great serve needs when they see them. They, they move under someone else that has a need and they serve them. That's how we make wrong right. The word slave is even a more difficult word because for us, the connotations of of the blistering evil of our own background in slavery. But this word in that context had a little more refined meaning. It meant the sense of indentured servitude, which means this. I not only want to be about serving wherever I see it, I am willing to place myself under someone and serve them the rest of my life. Now, in the Roman society and throughout that part of the world, there were people who were forced slaves to serve someone the rest of their lives. Oftentimes in Roman culture, if they were very faithful in that, at some point they were given their freedom, and many of them would still choose to stay in that role as a servant to a master. In the Christian connection, we are called called to serve at all times because we are an indentured servant, if you will, slave to the master. St. Paul says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Every time one of us would say, Jesus, you are my Lord, we are saying we are moved into indentured servitude whatever, whenever, whoever, forever we serve you. We report for duty every day to our Lord and Master. I wanna show you a picture of somebody who's a great example of this kind of serving life. You know who that is? Yeah, it's Jimmy Carter. You know how old he is there? 92. This took place a couple of weeks ago. He was in Canada. And uh, our former president has has ever since he uh, stepped down for the presidency, he built the whole Carter Center as a way to serve needs throughout the world. And he and his wife serve with Habitat Humanity, and they travel all over the place building houses. And and he passed out a couple of weeks in Toronto helping to build a house. I mean, he still wields a hammer at, at age 92. And then, you know, so it becomes worldwide news. Jimmy Carter passes out. He's in the hospital. Turned out he was just dehydrated. He didn't drink enough water on the job. But he's given his life to the role of servant. Most people say that Jimmy Carter's successes following the presidency far exceed any that he had as the most powerful person in the world because he followed Jesus, put himself under into the role of servant, and with his talent, with his connections, started shaping and bringing good where there is harshness and bad in the world. It's a cool thing. Here's what he wrote. I got this from Scott Young, who did our devotions this week. This is a quote from from him My faith demands, and this is not optional, my faith demands that I do whatever I can, whenever I can, for as long as I can, with whatever I have to try and make a difference. Let me read it again. It's not just kind of a written statement. You can feel his passion in the words. My faith demands, this is not optional, My faith demands that I do whatever I can, whenever I can, for as long as I can, with whatever I have. For him, that's now age 92, to try and make a difference. What an example. Did you know he's also a Sunday school class teacher? He still teaches in that little Southern Baptist church in Plains, Georgia, And whenever he's in town, he's the Sunday school teacher. He, As of two years ago in the summer, he had taught 690 classes as as Sunday school teacher. And and if you add up to now, I suppose he's well over 700. They have a whole website that that announces when Jimmy Carter's going to teach class. And people come from far and wide, and this little church is just burgeoning. Because it's not just that he's really smart. It's that this is a life you want to hear from. Yeah. I I also love, and I, uh, I I haven't met Jimmy Carter either, and I certainly haven't met the Pope, but there's some things I really like about him too. What I really like about Pope Francis is that when he goes to a foreign country, and the dignitaries meet him, and they're in these long black limousines, and they have the national flags, on, and, and they meet him, and they greet him, and he's got his white thing on. And then they get into their cars to head through the city and the crowds and the big limousines carrying the presidents and the dignitaries and the heads of states and the generals. He demands that his own car travels with him wherever he goes. And it's the smallest little Italian Fiat you can imagine. Have you seen this? It's, it's, it's stark in its parallelism. The smallest, I don't think four people can fit in one of those. I don't know how he gets in and out at his age. But you've got these massive cars, and then little Fiat's right behind him. <laughs> Did you know he won't sleep in the papal palace? He refuses. He's got a simple room with one single bed in it and a little table next to it. It's this notion that greatness isn't power. Greatness isn't position. Greatness is servitude. And so I sum up this section, greatness defined serve. (laughs) Somebody comes up to you and says, I don't know what I should do with my life. You just say, I do. You serve. I don't know what God's will is for me. Just go, I do. Serve. I I don't know what title I want after my name. I do. Servant. Servant of God and the people of our earth. It's pretty powerful when you think about it. It's pretty powerful that from underneath, how may I serve you, becomes the way to lead and change the world. Jesus is turning prevailing truth on its head. So, how do we apply this? How do we go home with this? Well, adapting uh, Jimmy Carter's words, I have said, serve whomever, whatever, whenever, forever. I added that word, but I think he's exemplifying that. (laughs) He'll probably die someday leaning over a two-by-four with a hammer in his hand. Building a house for a poor family. Serve. Whomever, whatever, whenever, forever. And, 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 and everybody, you've got to think about the different roles that God has you in in your life as to where you serve. Because you serve in different roles, don't you? You serve at home. So I started thinking about myself. Home is number one. Serve at home. And you say, well, how do I serve at home? Here, I think this will work for everybody. What do you least like to do that needs to be done at home? Do it. Okay? For me, it's dishes. Maria will make these lovely meals, and I, I'm just I'm still always amazed how many dishes and utensils it takes to prepare a dinner for two. I'm just amazed. <laughs> the whole kitchen kitchen. My wife is one of the most creative, wonderful cooks in the world. And she was in the first service, so I couldn't be as bombastic as I'm going to be now. So. <laughs> but I'm pretty good at doing dishes now, she says, some of the time, and she's really right. Sometimes she starts out, and I go, oh, yeah, and then I get over there, and I go, show me. Anyway, How do you serve at home? What is it that needs to be done that you least like to do? Do it. How about in your neighborhood? Your neighborhood might be the house across the street or it might be the apartment just above you or below you. How do we serve in our neighborhoods? For me, um, it happened a couple of weeks ago. I was out mowing my lawn. Now, those of you who have followed Lon Allison in his preaching over the years know that he's a great fan of the Toro recycler mower, which will go as fast as you can walk. And I, and I had a mission to get that half acre of grass cut on that night. I didn't even want to see my neighbor Bob sitting in his house out on the deck, morose like this. Bob loves to mow his lawn as much as I love mine, but I'm better than he is because he uses a rider mower. (laughs) He thinks of me as strong and robust. So when he had to go and get his shoulder repaired recently, he can't even do the rider mower anymore, and he just sat there. And as I'm mowing away, I'm thinking, Bob is watching me in my robustness now mowing my lawn. And then God said, go talk to Bob. Lord, I need to get this lawn done. I am serving my wife. (laughs) You know what it is when when you just get a sense God's saying, go talk to Bob. But it's going to be dark, Lord. Go talk to Bob. So I go talk to Bob. And little did I know that as soon as I got there, He was just saying, gosh, I can't, I just, I am so upset at these pains, and I can't do anything. I can't do my work. I can't, you know, I love my yard. I can't do anything. And I realized God had called me over to just be a pastor friend to him. And then Elva came out and brought me lemonade. And Bob's going, yeah, I'm no fun to be around. And Elva's behind him going, yeah, he's just, just. (laughs) They are the most precious people. And God called me to sit with them till well into the night. And just talk and promise prayers for quick healing and to plant another seed of the gospel in their lives. Uh, Listen, friends, is there any act of serving that's greater than telling somebody about Jesus? I mean, if, if we're not doing that, we cannot put a capital S Servant on our names. The whole world needs the Lord. Next-door neighbors and people around the world. And so to serve is to be willing to climb over our fear fear and use some prayer and some care and some share and get out there and be with people and pray for help and and tell them about God's love. It's a part of it. Home, neighborhood, workplace. Uh, Almost everyone here has a job, either within the home or somewhere in society. And we've been teaching for a year or two years now about the importance of the workplace, that it is a place where God's people go. It's incredibly important. But if I could say something to you about the workplace, the more authority and position you have in a workplace, the more you need to serve outside of that position of authority. We can't dare forget what it is to be on the factory floor. And nowhere do our people respect us more than we get down into the dirty in the beginning. And you serve. I was talking to Marie about serving in our church. She said, honey, if you get a chance, maybe you could just say a little bit about this. Even as we talk about all these unique ways to serve in our church, and I, and I brought the thing. Yeah, here it is. All of these. She said, would you also ask them something that for some of them, They only want to serve at the hour quite often that's most reasonable for them. Sometimes we just desperately need people to serve at the 8.15 hour or the 11.15 hour. And I realize that service isn't just doing what I'm good at or even what I want to do. Sometimes it's doing what I don't want to do. So as you think about serving in our church, as you think about serving in your marketplace, I'll still remember my marketplace is kind of Christian ministry, and and I'll never forget when I met uh, a man who I considered probably the second most important person in all Christendom. His name was Bill Bright. He's the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, which is the largest mission organization on planet Earth. Um, I had just gotten an appointment to a position over at the Billy Graham Center, and I walked into this meeting. And I was introduced to him, and the person said, Lon has just become the the, uh, leader of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College, and I'll never forget this guy, the most, I mean, massive corporate leadership. He looked me in the eyes, and they twinkled. He pulled out a card, and he says, My name's Bill Bright, as if I didn't know. (laughs) And he said, Lon, in your new role, if there's anything I can ever do for you, would you let me? I was in another meeting with him where he was clearly the most powerful and prestigious person in the room and we were talking about a national initiative to get Christ throughout the nation and and all of these denominational heads and such and leaders of the Billy Grahams and all this stuff and Bill's just sitting there quietly and then the leader turns to him and says, Bill, do you think we're on, that we should do this? And Bill Bright goes, I sure do. We need to all do this, and all the resources of my organization are available to any of you at any time, and I'll never forget what he said next. And if that just means that, that one of you needs me to carry your briefcase to get this done, I'll do it. Service, service, service. Greatness is servanthood. Jesus ends the whole thing In verse 28, and it ends where it should. This isn't about Chick-fil-A, and it isn't about Bill Bright, and it isn't about service master. The example of servanthood is Jesus. Look how he ends it all. He calls them to be servants and indentured slaves, and he says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus will take it all the way down to the bottom. He will pour out his blood. He serves us completely because only by him completely serving to the point of death could we be saved completely by his shed blood. Service. Service. That's what greatness is. Pray with me. Unto you, O Lord, we commit these words, your words. We commit our interpretation of them and ask that you would refine them and make them work perfectly for each person who's here. Lord Jesus, for those of us who know you, whenever, wherever, whomever, forever, as long as we know it is You. Make us those kind of great people. Amen.